where we discuss the business of cybersecurity. Here are your co-hosts and cybersecurity experts, Brian Horning, Reginald Andre, and Randy Bryan. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Security Squawk Podcast. I'm your co-host, Brian Horning, here with Randy Bryan and Reginald Andre. Welcome to another week, another show, gentlemen. Feels like we were just together like the other day. because we Yeah, were. Friday. Yeah, I think we were. <laughs> yeah, we were. Just a few days ago, we did a, a late show because I was under the weather, and I'm still under the weather, unfortunately. Um, so I'm going to rely on my, my co-host here to help me get through the show. Um, my brain's not working like it usually does today, so I apologize. Um, but we got a good show. We have a major transportation uh, company under cyber attack. We have an interesting cyber attack against the same company that caused the um, Target cyber attack, the big one that you know Target had many, many years ago. Um, interesting because it involves maybe not fishing this time and something else. So we're going to kind of get into that. Um, then we have St. Louis Metro. Uh, they're, they're under a cyber attack. Um, there's a city down in Mississippi uh, that we want to cover. Um, and then there's also the Prospect Medical Holdings, an interesting perspective and look at this hospital's kind of their dealing of, of the situation, what they kind of went through and what they're still dealing with. Uh, about two months since their hospital was attacked uh, by ransomware. So we'll definitely get into all that today. But before we do, Andre, what's our fee for the show? The fee is free 99. There is no cost to the uh, to listening to our show. There's no sponsors or anything like that or commercial breaks. All we ask is to share it and to uh, if you have any your boss or coworkers that are decision makers in um, in the technology aspect to share the show. Yeah, it's pretty critical right now, Brian, just that we get the word out and get people talking about this stuff and understanding the stuff because there's so much going on right now. Yeah. And and at the end of the day, you know, just sharing, liking, subscribing Mm -hmm. helps the algorithm helps other random people, your friends, your followers, or maybe people that are connected with you on different platforms. Um, These social media companies will suggest our content to them by you giving us a vote of confidence when you see our stuff. So we thank you. So first one we want to get into is we kind of cruise the internet here and look for uh, what's happening in the world this week. Coming off the heels of some pretty pretty big cyber attacks, guys, here in 2023. You know, we're on the heels of of MGM, of you know the ones we talked about on Friday. But here we have uh, the fourth largest LTL player by sales. Which, if you don't know what LTL stands for, it's less than a truckload. So you can kind of think of that as you know in between you you know the the service that's in between you just sending like one package through FedEx or UPS versus you know going all the way up to like a, like, like a whole entire tractor trailer when you maybe need to ship a pallet or something large. Like if you order furniture online or you order appliances online, they usually come on a service called LTL. Um, and this company Estes 
Express Lines disclosed today that they have shared a notice regarding an ongoing IT infrastructure outage, and this out outage appears to be the result of a cyber attack. It says, yesterday we shared notice regarding uh, ongoing IT infrastructure outage and can confirm today that this outage appears to be the result of a cyber attack. While we are unable to share specific details at this time, our terminals and drivers are effectively picking up and delivering freight while we work through this event. We're working as quickly as possible to resolve this issue and return to business as usual. We are immensely grateful for the dedication and responsiveness of our more than 22,000 employees and the way they've banded together to keep serving our customers and each other. We also extend our appreciation to customers and vendors for their patience and support during a challenging time. We will continue to share updates with you as we work through this incident. So what do you guys think here? You know, um, we, we actually have a client that's a truck, a fairly large trucking company here in our region. And, you know, when you think of these type of trucking companies, you just think, oh, it's just a guy in the truck. They load a few pallets in and they just use ways to like, you know, go through traffic. But there's actually a lot of technology that goes involved in it. And one of them is having this like their internal CRM system that uh, basically numbers the boxes. So that way they can just know exactly, you know, which what belongs to which customer. And I can only imagine if those things are down, they're in the middle of, of nowhere, the, the truckers don't have a printer, they have no real way of accessing home office, and this is a company with 22,000 employees. So it's something that's going to be a huge inconvenience for these truckers. Yeah, and, you know, they don't really go into everything right now, but we know just how things are. There's probably a lot of chaos behind the scenes. It says that they're they're picking up and making deliveries. I guess they're doing it on pencil and paper at this point. Um, the, these kind of things are really, really disturbing. We're a day or two into it. And, you know, it's great to read a hopeful message coming from, you know, the, the company. But the reality is payday is coming. How are they going to pay people? Um, they've got to receive money for these shipments that they do. Um, are they still able to they also be money? able to prove that they they actually got to be able to prove that they delivered what they shipped? Right. Yep. There's a lot of little things here that that um, are going to be just horrible to have to work through. Um, one thing, one of the things that just caught my eyes as I was reading that statement is that's not a typical statement we see nowadays from a company. Um, <clears throat> Usually we hear things and we can kind of debate whether we think this is an issue or kind of like reading the tea leaves a little bit as to where this company's maturity was from a cybersecurity standpoint, right? But typically you see things around like, you know, we've hired outside firms, we're working with the best of the best in the world when it comes to cybersecurity to work through this issue. Um, you're hearing things about maybe some of their incident response and, and what they're doing around that. And you're not really hearing that here. You're kind of hearing, uh, we thank our employees and we thank our vendors and customers for kind of sticking with us and, and kind of going above and beyond as we work through these issues. Um, that's what struck me when I read that. Did, did you guys have a similar kind of like, like reaction to that or do you have a different perspective? 
No, it's definitely different. So maybe they guess they have a, <laughs> they they haven't um, polished or gone over, you know, their internet response plan as far as how to properly. I don't know though, because the thing is, a lot of times we hear that, and it's like, yeah, that's the common thing to say. It's the copy and paste. So it is different. It's different. It makes you wonder if they have cyber insurance and if there's a breach attorney involved, right? Because yeah, yeah. Typically, we see these canned responses these days where we kind of, okay, it sounds like they're definitely working with some kind of breach coach or breach attorney that's advising them on what to say. Um, it's, it's, in, it's interesting. It, it, it's almost a little bit foreshadowing to me, kind of saying like, you know, we want to extend our appreciation to customers and vendors. It's like, you haven't seen the repercussions of, of that yet. So. Right. I mean, it's almost like premature to extend your appreciation and to put it in their words, I think, because the ramifications of your customers and your vendors, um, you know, your vendors being annoyed that they're probably not going to get paid on time and your customers not getting their deliveries on time. Um, that hasn't come through yet. Right. So well, it, it could also kind of be a sign of the times as well, Brian, just because we're hearing more and more of these in the news, you know, in fact, probably more people heard about the one in the last few weeks with MGM than anything we've had recently. And, you know, maybe their vendors are saying, gosh, y'all, we understand it could happen to the best of us. And, you know, maybe they are getting positive response responses from their vendors, from their customers, from their employees, kind of a attitude of, you know, we're kind of all in the same boat in there, but for the grace of God, go I kind of mentality. I don't know. That's, when I read that, I also think that like there's people that are, you know, rather than getting all ticked off, like we had a large food, food distributor here um, in our area, a nationwide food distributor get hit um, about two years ago and tons of customers just bailed and went to another food distributor um, because they're restaurants. They needed to get access to stuff, you know, and I don't know if that's going to happen here or not. But anyway, maybe that's why they're uh, talking like that. That's a good point. That's a good point. So good luck for with Estes. Um, they are uh, they're on the hook here. We'll, we'll, we'll update everyone as we as we learn more and we when we see how they make it through this particular what sounds like a ransomware attack. Um, and interestingly enough, on that note, going into um, kind of this retrospective on you know, what we wanted to talk about on this prospect medical holdings, uh, Connecticut hospitals, um, when they were attacked in August with ransomware. And there's been a nice uh, write up here on kind of what this hospital has has dealt with um, since their attack back in August. So we're going to kind of run through that with everybody so they kind of understand like a what the situation was with for this for this holding company that owns three facilities in connecticut that were affected by this attack um but there's a lot of interesting little details that happened um during this during this recovery process um that we want to kind of highlight and bring to people's attention because there's a, there's a lot here so I'm going to stop talking. You guys, one of you guys take over reading because I'm, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to go through this article. Yeah, sure. And Randy helped me out. Uh, but 
First thing I want to mention is that the only reason that we're able to even see this is because of the Freedom of Information Act and that the fact it was dealing with, um, you know, public dollars and also with um, the medical side. But usually we don't get the behind the scenes of like these timelines of what's going on. So you have for 17 days, uh, Manchester Memorial Hospital uh, was basically crippled with this cyber attack. Um, the first thing that we see here is, let me pull it up. So we have Eastern Connecticut Health Network had to send its employees ordering them to log off all their computers or any workstation on wheels and not to access any hospital uh, computer systems from x-rays to prescriptions. I mean, that alone is scary. Imagine you're the patient there and now all of a sudden all technology is turned off and anything connected to the network or to the internet no longer is providing your, your nurses um, and doctors the information that you need. So that, that part is scary. Uh, you wanna go ahead, Randy, and then I'll take it from there. Yeah, I mean, the the crazy thing about this is having to do things like that by, by hand instead of over a computer. Um, also, um, having to do records by hand. They It says that they cut nearly half of their elective procedures. Um, they also were having to divert. So over the course of six weeks, they sent out 29 notices. So literally um, two out of three days, they were sending out notices to ambulance companies and e, uh, like, you know, other people that provide um, like critical care out in the field to, they were sending these messages, do not bring people to our ER. We can't handle them. Um, and the, cra the crazy thing is now these hospitals, the company that owns them, the holding company that's hold them, hold, that holds them is um, considering selling them to Yale, um, which would you know make them nonprofit um, hospitals. And it kind of begs us, we ought to dig a little deeper here, but how, how these kind of attacks are so crippling on businesses that, you know, the statistics around 60% of businesses that get hit with a breach like this end up out of business within like six months um, because they're so crippling. We don't realize how crippling it is. We got to get into that a little bit while we're talking about it. Another thing, too, is how they alerted, which I find is interesting. They sent an alert via email to these um different company, uh, ambulance companies and, and um, other providers not to send them any, any um, you know, emergency cases via email. But like what happens if, you know, someone doesn't see the email or goes to spam? I just right. found that, that to be a little interesting in their, in their mm -hmm. procedures. And the other thing is, and anytime you're in a breach like this, you need to pretty much assume that your email system's borked, that they're in the middle, the middle of it. So, you know, they're fortunate that they weren't sending out these notices and they were just getting deleted by the bad, by the bad actors. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, or even if, again, just what if their emails went down, then like, how do you, what's your next step? You know, but I, I understand the, the given the certain amount of time that they have to do the notification email is probably the fastest, but I just felt that it was an interesting way of telling people not to send emergency patients via email, hoping that they saw the email. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that stands out to me, which I want to point out, um, is, you know, and why I want to point it out is because a lot of businesses that I deal with anyway, aren't going to have the luxury that, that this 
group had because right you know they were unable to build medicaid for payment so that quote unquote according to the article forced the state department of social services to advance advance them about 7.5 million dollars there's no private business that's ever going to have that luxury to get fronted for unless they go take out a loan obviously but like they didn't number one the department of social services probably didn't have to do that right that was a state function that said okay we have a pot of money over here we can give it to you to help you out through this situation knowing that eventually you're going to be able to bill medicaid and then we'll get that money back will be my assumption but i mean that's pretty wild to me i mean that's a that's a that's a big help to get through this um, at the end of the day, in my opinion, because if they didn't get that money, I think things would be tremendously you know, worse for them when it comes to um, their ability to recover. But it sounds like they were operating kind of like the saying living check to check. The fact that you didn't have a reserve that you could you had to go run to the state for seven million dollars where you didn't have, you know, four or five months of operations, at least as for a hospital. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much modern, modern life at this point, um, Andre, you know, where I think most businesses are living check to check. I think that's why they end up such a large percentage go out of business within six months is because they are living check to check, don't have any kind of reserves and any kind of interruption is a deadly interruption. It's like they're already on life support, you know, just because they're barely making it. So you know, cut off that uh, IV and then they're done. So yeah. I use a little medical an- analogy there. Analogy there. <laughs> so there's a public okay. this week. <laughs> so there's a public official um, named Chris, Kristen McCarthy, Vahey, um, who's on the public health committee. Um, and she said executives are, are describing the recovery as slow. And they said they're struggling to get all systems back online. They continue to use paper checks to pay vendors. And it will likely take a few more months for everything to get fully sorted out. It's a very involved and lengthy process. Um, So let's talk about some ways businesses can not find themselves in this situation, right? I mean, you know, we talk about this stuff all the time on the show, but like, how does a business not have to be down for months and months and months like this. So they don't have to operate for a very lengthy period of time using paper checks and what have you to, to kind of muddle through the situation. Um, I guess we can all throw one out. I'll go last. So well, I, first yeah. I'm going to say prepare, you know, they, one of the things the article mentioned is that they had to, they found that, uh, each nurse was basically having to stay in each room to do the monitoring of the devices because if someone's heart rate dropped, there's no more technology that's going to beep, you know, do, do a beeper to the nurse or to the doctor. So first thing, not answering your question directly, Brian, is prepare to make sure that you actually think about, all right, if all devices turned off, if our, we lost the internet, if our internal network went down, if a switch went down, like something even like that, what would happen? Um, and then to answer your question, Brian, um, one of the things is isolate. You know, there should be uh, systems in place where you have your accounting, marketing, 
legal, all of these different things that are not just one big um, one big network that's all talking to each other. But you should put in a system where that if something does happen to one department, uh, the other departments can continue working, like like how we talked about MGM a few weeks ago. Right. Yeah. And I would say that there, there really should have been and there probably will be now um, some sort of a cybersecurity risk assessment where, you know, literally, literally cybersecurity 101, um, 101.11 or whatever you want to call it is identify. And I'm really adding to what you were saying, Andre, is they really needed to identify all of their existing systems um, and then make sure that they're not so reliant on each other that if one goes down, it brings down the whole thing. There needs to be resilience uh, among their among their systems. You know, by systems right now, we're talking about processes also, you know, that could apply to machines as well, subnetworks and everything um, like that. I'm not sure if I answered your question. Though. At this point, I kind of forgot what it was, uh, Brian. <laughs> So it's like what, what can businesses do so they don't they're not down for months and months a quicker or quicker response a quicker recovery right yeah you you know what you you got to know what you have um and and then you've got to build it in such a way that it's resilient and build it in such a way that when you do have an attack the blast radius is limited um instead of bringing down the whole thing it's a you know it's a half day blip um instead of being something that's six months long to get out of yeah, and if you're a hospital, that's that is a, someone's full-time position dealing with that. Because not only are you like doing the theory, but then you have to then say, okay, let's do it. Let's make sure that our staff is trained. And of course, we already know there's nurses shortages and things like that. So you can't even probably get a lot of their time. But then you again it goes from the top where you have to make sure that the executives, the the um the board is making sure that these um, personnel are doing the proper training um, for these type of events. Yeah, you know, just to add to that again, um, that they really ought to be looking at a co-managed type of situation like this, where, yeah, you probably do have a full-time person. Do they really have the bandwidth to excel in cybersecurity and keep all the systems running? Most likely they don't have the physical capable bandwidth to make that happen and to be able to bring in a, a co-managed company that that can focus more on the cybersecurity while the in-house IT deals with making sure the networks are running and people's computers are up to date and things like that. That can be a, a, a very much needed thing to add to this particular situation or situation like this. And here's one of the quotes from the doctors um, that went through this incident. I know we have a lot more to do and need to start to have these conversations because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when more uh, attacks are going to happen. Wow. Shame on us if we don't learn from what has happened. And I'm here to say shame on them because it's going to happen again and they're not going to learn from this lesson. Yeah, that's and that's story. that's actually um, – that doctor is actually a public official. Um, and I actually think when we post the show, we'll post a link to this article because the article is lengthy. We won't have a, uh, we won't have the time to, you know, on the show today to go through the whole thing and all the details of kind of, there's like almost a play by play here. What happened like every day. Um, and it's a very dynamic situation. There were people looking to um, acquire these hospitals at the time. Um, 
And, uh, you know, that put a lot of question marks on whether those people should continue with purchasing the, the hospital. Um, they also, um, you know, go through kind of a play by play of like people realizing that, you know, patients weren't being medicated properly as a result of this. Um, this, the interesting, the eye-opening thing to me was the amount of money that the state of Connecticut probably laid out sending state officials, inspectors, and things like that to make sure that this hospital was providing adequate care during this event. So not only do you have the hospital unable to perform its normal duties, so it's going to you know cause them to lose money, on top of the Medicare issue, not being able to bill, now you have the state and taxpayers incurring costs because this hospital was cyber attacked. And, you know, it doesn't, you know, taxpayers are paying for those inspectors to show up at that hospital and make sure things are running right. Um, and that's kind of, you know, where things are at with, with this hospital and what they've learned and, and what's going on. So, um Good stuff here, guys. I mean, this is a pretty pretty cool article. Like I said, we'll link to it where we can. Um, so if you follow us or watch us on social media, you can go through this article yourself. It's very lengthy. Probably take about a half hour to read through. But there's a lot of good information there, a lot of lessons learned. And the interesting thing to me is both entities, the hospital and the state, are looking at this situation and trying to learn from it, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that the state needs to learn kind of like we've learned over the years, guys, you got to isolate your risk. Right. <clears throat> you know, there is overlap in what maybe some state the state provides in terms of like social services and things like that. And they have to understand that, you know, they could be impacted. They could lose money. This is third party risk. This is the stuff we talk about a lot now. Um, the state has to recognize that by do, providing the types of social services that they do to these hospitals, um, it could impact them. It could cost them more money. It could blow out their budget um, if a hospital that, that they associate with has a cyber attack, as you can see from here. And that's a big warning to government officials on the social services side who are involved in you know, healthcare decisions in your state and also hospital administrators. So, all right, guys. So Johnson Controls, I know Randy's like chomping at the bit to talk to talk about <laughs> this one. Um, Johnson Controls, as I mentioned at the top of the show, um, I mean, they were the ones that were, you know, if you remember back in the day, there was this Target hack and, you know, everybody's talked about Target being hacked for, you know, over a decade now, it seems was actually Johnson Controls was the company who was who was the contractor um, who was actually the reason Target got breached, right? And here we have Johnson Controls in another situation that I'm going to let Randy take the reins on and fill us in on what's going on at Johnson Controls. Yeah, I'm going to read a little bit of the uh, article. Um, they suffered a massive ransomware attack, potentially impacting the Department of Homeland Security. So um, it says in a regulatory SEC filing, the industrial control systems manufacturer said its operations were disrupted after a cybersecurity incident affected parts of its IT infrastructure. Um, it says they uh, initiated its, its their incident response plan 
launched an investigation with external cybersecurity experts and started coordinating with insurers. The company continues to assess what information was impacted and is executing its incident management and protection plan, including implementing remediation measures to mitigate the impact of the incident and will continue taking additional steps as appropriate. Um, I think the, the big deal here is that Johnson Controls is such a huge company. Um, they are involved in um, things with the Department of Homeland Security. Um, it says on September 28, um, it was reported that they're investigating the breach if it has compromised sensitive physical security information, um, adding that the company, and they're referring uh, to Johnson Controls, holds classified sensitive contracts for DHS security systems. So basically, Johnson Controls has in their possession, um, they they have maps, if you will, or, you know, the, the, that, the data that explains physical controls that are in place at the Department of Homeland Security, it sounds like. And so when Johnson Controls gets breached, potentially could impact national security if they're able to get that data and use it to get into an embassy. Like if the, the bad guys are able to use that data to get into an embassy or to get into a Department of Homeland Security building, you know, or anything like like that. So potentially this is pretty, pretty bad. What would be ironic is if um, if you remember the Log4J uh, incident, a lot of the Johnson control software and devices were affected with that Log4J. So it'll be interesting to see later on. Yeah. If yeah. there's any correlation. You know, this, this article is, as I'm going through it, right, it's, it teeters on kind of alluding to those things, but it doesn't necessarily call them out for like what you just said right there. Right. Um, you know, but the reality of it is, is if you have Department of Defense contracts, there's language in every Department of Defense contract that says you have to do these mandatory minimum cybersecurity requirements. And the big issue is and why we see companies like this being attacked is there's really no enforcement of it. And that's the whole point of CNMC. And why we're moving away from this day, 171 is being the law of land. That's a different conversation for a different day. But you see a major company like this, JCI, who has government contracts, who's basically being accused of not doing everything that they need to do as part of their cybersecurity contract. That's what I'm, I'm as part of their Department of Defense contract. That's what I'm reading in this article. Which is some pretty damning accusations. Right. Right. I mean, there is a thing called the Federal False Claims Act that if you're saying you're signing contracts and you're saying you're doing this stuff and you're not, your CEOs and your executives can be charged with the Federal False Claims Act under these contracts. Interesting to see what's going to happen. Yeah, it is. 100%. Yeah, I mean, and it also, it's also interesting that, again, another one that we found out about in an SEC filing, um, not as it unfolded. Um, and that's the luxury Johnson controls has, mm -hmm. uh, because everything they do is pretty much behind the scenes. So only, you know, your customers are going to know about it. Like the ones that buy your services for your facilities, it's really not going to affect the average person, the average consumer. So it doesn't hit social media. 
<clears throat> like these other cyber attacks do. So how are we doing on time? Are we good or we need to wrap it up? I need, I have a hard stop. So I need to run pretty quick. All right. Well guys, that's it. We're going to wrap it up and right. thanks for your inputs. We'll see everybody. We're next week. We're good. Right. Um, we're not together yet until the end of October. Um, but we will see everybody in the next show. Remember, share the show, and we will see you next Tuesday. Take care, everyone. All right. Bye-bye.